This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. May Chow's first passion was to be an artist, and she set out from her small Malaysian fishing village to experience New York's art world head-on. After waitressing in Chinese restaurants to support her way through art school, she and her French husband combined forces and cultures to open a French-Malaysian bistro in Tribeca. And although May never let go of her artist's dream, one of her greatest creations might just be her newest restaurant, the remarkable Eaux Épices, another French-Malaysian bistro where the food is Asian, the vibe is French, and the menu is like a trip around the world. Coming up, you'll hear why being a Kung Fu master matters in the kitchen of a Chinese restaurant. How May has always insisted on an all-woman kitchen and why she prefers her staff to be diamonds in the rough. You'll hear about spice versus spicy and the dish that promises 10,000 flavors. This is her story. In the vast culinary landscape we share... We are all carving out a place for ourselves. Each of us, in our own way, is a one-woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. May Chow, I am so excited to have you here with me in my kitchen today. I'm so excited about our segment together because I just had the chance to eat a beautiful lunch in your restaurant. Your restaurant is called Eaux Epices, which is really French. It's a French-Malaysian bistro. I felt like I went on a trip to some exotic place, and I can't believe I've never been there before. May, your story is so remarkable. You are a chef, an artist. You've been a fixture in the New York City restaurant scene for almost 25 years, and yet you're a bit under the radar. So that's why I couldn't wait to be with you in person. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Roxanne. I feel honored to be in your show, too. May, let's talk a little bit about what it is to be a woman chef in New York and what it was like 25 years ago when you got started You're an artist, and I believe that you started in order to support yourself as a student. You started working in Chinese restaurants. What was New York like back then? Yeah, so I arrived in 1984. Five, like uh, in the winter, and I was from like Malaysia. Just, from you Malaysia, are from Malaysia, yeah, mm-hmm. from Malaysia, and uh, I was twenty-one. Was mm. like very naive, like also excited. You come to New York City. It's not <laughs> anywhere. New York City at that time, the art is the you know the center of the art world. Yes, and I was so excited and want to be an artist and want to you know. That's the only thing I'm thinking about mm. at that time. So I was very excited. And when I, of course, when I arrived, I just realized you need to think about how you're going to support yourself because uh, being an artist is not something you can get a job, you know what I mean? <laughs> a, I'm from a very traditional Chinese family. So after you finish high school and, or, you know, you, you are grow up 18, you need to fence for yourself, mm-hmm. you know. You mm-hmm. need to support yourself. It's not like you you have other uh, 
other idea or something like that. And so that's it's customary a- for um, a young woman in a Chinese family in Malaysia at the age of 18 to be self-sufficient and, and independent. Yes, yes, wow. yes. It's just a, it's a normal thing. Mm-hmm. It's not even like, oh, they're mean or anything. No, <laughs> it's just they, they've been self-supporting when they are 16. I have my older sister. She self-support herself 12. Well, well yeah. we're definitely going to also talk yeah. about your, your childhood and your background. But mm-hmm. um, but coming, to, I never had that experience, right, going to another country and living and being 21. Did you know anyone here? Uh, yes. I actually have a sister here. Uh, That's why I come here. I find uh, right away when I uh, have the opportunity, I come. But at the same time, I didn't thought through. You know, so I end up, you know, working in the Chinese restaurant to support myself and to also find a way to register to school. To art school. To art school. So you, you were really not interested in food at all at that point. You were no. passionate about art and your art and yes. being in New York, which was the center of the art world. At that time, 80, 80 meet 80, you know. Were you a painter or doing some other kind of uh, art? Yes, I study uh, fine art, so uh, painting. So that's how I met my husband, Mark Kazmarek, and uh, he's a photographer. Yeah, so it was just um, almost like I packed my bag and come. (laughs) Wow. So you went to art school. You were cooking at Chinese restaurants. Did you have a certain part of your life where you really did make money as an artist or did you create no, this restaurant I right always, away? You know, I always like being artist, you spend money <laughs> to make your work. You don't really uh, get money until you were known or, you know, or you teach. Most artists uh, support themselves by teaching. And also when I first come, I work as a waitress. Mm-hmm. I'm not a uh, a cook or anything, and it's never heard of a woman work in the kitchen also at that time. Ah, good As, point. Yeah, right. especially a Chinese restaurant. Even now, they do dumpling and things like that, mm-hmm. but not really a line cook or a chef or anything like that. That's in, fascinating. I didn't actually know that. Do you think the time will ever come where that will happen? Do you think women want to work in a traditional Chinese kitchen? Maybe that's not even such a desirable thing. I don't know. For Chinese restaurant, I think will be very difficult for a woman to be working as a line cook. Maybe they can be a chef. Ah, but okay. as a line cook, it's, uh, I would say it will be very difficult First of all, it's a, it's a very labor-intensive, mm-hmm. very, because you have to, like, stir-fry. You have to, in a way, you have to, with a very high heat, very fast, you need to cook that dish within, like, what, maybe less than three minutes? Mm-hmm. A dish is out. So you need a lot of labor-intensive. You need to... Uh, how you say it. You stir it, not with the wok. You stir it with your hand. You toss the wok. Oh, so you're actually shaking and moving the pan yes. back and forth. You, you don't use the, uh, utensils. the, the utensils at That's all. That's fascinating. Yeah. You can do a little bit, but that's not the idea. So a Chinese chef is really moving a lot of food around in a very high, frantic 
pace yeah. over a very, it's, very hot fire. So yeah. that's very, very It's a really excited to watch because mm. all this fire and then it's like a real kung fu. <laughs> and of course, we call chef as a master. We call that kung fu master. Ah, yeah, that's yeah. very In interesting. In Chinese, we call sifu, and that's a master. Yeah, a kung fu master, an actual kung fu and, master. And call, oh, well, you can say that. Everything that we say, you master a, a skill. We will say you are kung fu master, sifu. Mm. <laughs> well, then you really are because I've seen your kitchen. I've seen you work in your kitchen, and your kitchen at Oze Peace is also just. Filled with women. And I understand, May, that a lot of the women are, are not traditionally trained chefs, but they're really housewives who have come to work with you. They love being there. It's a beautiful community that you've created. And you've taught them everything you know. And they're cooking your recipes, yes? Yes, yes. Uh, when I first started my first restaurant uh, called the Franklin Station Cafe in Tribeca, that was, what, uh, 1993. Wow. I have a very little kitchen. Of course, when I first opened, I didn't thought about to open a, a restaurant or anything. I just thought that I'm going to open a cafe, uh, serve some sandwich, so I can do breakfast and lunch and mm-hmm. dinner. I, I we will close after lunch, like maybe four o'clock, and then so I we can uh, we I keep saying we because uh, that was my me and my husband. So you who, opened this restaurant together, Franklin yes, Station yes, Cafe, nineteen ninety three in yes. Tribeca, mm-hmm. yeah. to support our uh, art habit. Art habit. <laughs> art, this is luxury, you know. So I just thought, oh, just a sandwich, coffee and a little tart or a little, I did some uh, cake and things like that. But you made everything from scratch yourself? Yes, mm-hmm. I do it myself. So I start hiring a woman because I it was not in my mind that's going to be a, a full-blown restaurant. And of course, within two weeks I open, I, I have to like get all this table, chair from my basement because it was a restaurant before, but I'm going to just do a takeout place. But then just to like within a week, I have to like bring them out from the basement. Because there was such a demand. People were loving what you were doing. Yeah, they want to sit down and eat. (laughs) So it's just gradually I develop all this uh, recipe that I grow up with. Wonderful. That is such a great segue to talk a little bit about your childhood and what smells were coming out of your kitchen and who was in your kitchen. So, May, let's let's go back, all the way back to that time and that little town you grew up in, right? You grew up in a tiny little town in, in Malaysia. Yes, yes. It's a very small town, a village, basically. But then, um, I don't know, in the late 70 or 70, they found oil there. So it became a boom town. Oh, wow. It became a boom town when I was like maybe seven, eight. So then my mom become very busy. She become an entrepreneur and all that. So that's why people ask me when you start cooking, because I say I start cooking very young because my mom never really home. Mm. And I was the tenth of the kid, but I the only girl at that time because 
my sister, they are older. Mm-hmm. Once they, they left the town because they have to go to school or they start working. So I was the only girl at that time. So I was helping out my mom. That's how I learned the cooking. And uh, I was like maybe 13, 12, 13. She uh, contracted a canteen in a jungle somewhere. Really? Because they are uh, open up highway and mm-hmm. things like that. So she had to leave there and she can't come back because there's no road. They're up on the road, <laughs> you know? So she would be the chef of this canteen? And yeah, who, who she was contracted. She who, who was she feeding? Who was she there? She feeding all the workers oh. that, um, you know, um, basically building the road from scratch. Mm. So it's like, you know, so she left. <laughs> she sounds awesome. That yeah, your mother just a, did this on her own. And she was cooking for many people, right? Many and, people, a few hundred people. Ooh. Yeah. So you are definitely your mother's uh, daughter. But I understand you were one of 11 children. Uh, the 10. The 10th of 11? Or no, the 10th my, child? Okay. The 10th child. My, my, my mother do have a 11 kid, but my older, older brother mm-hmm. died when he was ah. three years old because there's no medicine or something like that. Yeah, so I'm getting the sense that this little town you grew up in was actually very remote, right? Very, very and- remote. But this little village, they have a lot of produce, you know, fresh fruit, fresh fish, and also fresh meat. So that's how I learn also the fresh ingredient. How do I sauce fresh ingredient? How do I see? How do I no, this is good. My husband would say, he's French, right? He asked, <laughs> how do you know? How do you know this fish is good? Uh, I said, let me tell you. <laughs> you have great instincts, but what a big responsibility for being a 14-year-old girl and cooking for your father and all of your brothers every day. Few, yeah, a few brothers and also now our business has become a little bigger, so we have also a uh, few worker. Mm. So, uh, and you were doing for that? lunch only for lunch. Mm-hmm. And is that the big meal of the day in? Uh, Not Malaysia? really. It's mm-hmm. still the dinner, but I still need to make a full meal. Full meal means you need a soup, a veggie, <laughs> and also a protein. Can right. be a meat, fish, or you know, some kind of protein. Now I know you're very, very famous for making the most exquisite French charts for dessert. But did you grow up? Uh, does Malaysian cuisine have a lot of dessert? Most Chinese cuisines don't really, dessert is not really a part of the meal per se, right? Right. No, we don't have a lot of dessert. And I grow up eating Malay dessert or Malay Chinese dessert. Mm-hmm. It's very, very fusion in Malaysia, the food. So sometimes I have to think about it's a Malay or Chinese or a fusion. Uh, you know, they have this Nyonya cuisine means they call it Malay and Chinese mix. And that's Nyonya? Nyonya. Can you spell that for me? Okay. N-Y-O-Y-A. Nyonya. And this is a combination of Malay and Chinese food. Yeah, when there is uh, intermarriage mm-hmm. from the Malay uh, woman and the Chinese man, that was go back maybe 200 years. Or... And was that the case in your family? No, actually, mm-hmm. I come from a very, very traditional Hakka family. Ah. Again, this is, I don't know how to explain it. Hakka is almost like a, a Jewish <laughs> It's very similar because we oh. lost our province. 
Mm-hmm. We lost our motherland, and we are basically a refugee ah. within chi- China itself. So we are uh, spread out everywhere. So we do not have our motherland. Like Cantonese, you will have Canton province. Mm-hmm. If you are Hokkienese, you will have a Hokkien province. Right. And but Hakkanese this is Hakka, H-A-K-K-A. H-A-K-K-A, that's what yes. we spell it. And the meaning yeah. of Hakkanese means I'm the guest of your province. So you have to treat me well. Oh, this is beautiful, so actually. We, we actually, you know, give that name to ourselves because mm-hmm. we don't want to say we are a refugee, right? <laughs> so we are your guests. We are your guests. So you have to treat us well. A beautiful of course, point we've been, of view. Yeah, but of course, we've been always have, uh, you know, tension when mm. you are refugee and you are have to stay in other province. First of all, the language is different. Mm-hmm. The habit is different. The cuisine is different. So our dialect, it's completely different. We have our own set of uh, value and things like that. Have this Disney uh, making a new film about the Mulan? Yes. Okay. The setup of this house, this they call it um, Earth House. Mm-hmm. And it's round. And they are basically circles. There are many circles. Those are back to, I don't know, maybe uh, 600 years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And this they, is part of your culture? That's Hakka. Ah, this is fascinating. That this house. Mm. So they they spread everywhere. So my father are from Canton. Mm-hmm. My mom actually born in Malaysia, which is at that time unusual because she's ninety one today. So you're saying go back for ninety one years ago that she born in Malaysia, which is unusual. Fascinating. Because usually they all come from the the flock of immigrant is the turmoil of China. That's where the flock of uh, immigrants. But my my mom, grandmother, already in Malaysia at that time. Well, this is an extraordinary history lesson for me. And when we come back, May, I want to hear more about what the cuisine is. You mentioned that you have a very particular cuisine, the Hakka cuisine, and also to know more about some of the dishes and the actual tastes and smells in your kitchen. May, do you have a cooking tip to share? Yeah. So if you want to make your fish crispy, the first thing you have to make sure your frying pan have to be the right temperature, which is the high heat temperature. And then you put some cooking oils, make sure put some sea salt on the fish and on the pan. And you put it on, it, the skin will not come off and it, it's uh, come out crispy. And it also draw out the flavor, you see? From May's Kitchen to yours, give it a try and pass it along. May, so I'm so excited to learn more about the cuisine. So you talked a lot about fresh fruits and vegetables and fish and meat, and those are the ingredients. But we are also talking about stir-fry. And what are some of the techniques? What is Malaysian cooking? especially for someone who's Chinese. 
sometimes I, I, I get very confused too because, and of course, people will ask me, May, your, your menu is all over the world. <laughs> I say, Yes, I, first of all, French is not part of Malaysian cooking, but then I have a French husband. But then I grew up in Malaysia, I was Chinese. And then I live in this little town that basically uh, primarily is Malay culture. And then I, on top, I'm a Hakka, which is already a slightly very different because we are already a refugee or immigrant within our own country in China. So then now I'm immigrant to Malaysia. And of course, now I'm in New York. <laughs> I was like, where am I? But the more I learn about also the Jewish culture through my friend and things, and I, I see some similarity, you yes. know, and I say, oh, we're like the Jewish, <laughs> a little bit similar. Kind of the adaptogens of all yeah. of these Yeah, we adapt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We adapt. A lot of concepts that the Jewish have, you always very value knowledge. Yes. And so, education and knowledge. Yeah. So the Hakka family, they are very stressed on, just, although they stress on the, the men at that time, mm -hmm. that, oh, they have to study, they have to study, you know, become somebody, you have to study. And now, of course, even the woman, that's also their value now. And uh, women in the Hakka family always very independent. They don't bound their feet throughout history. Not any other ethnic group. And is that a tradition still used or applied today of Chinese women? Bound their feet? No, no, they of course, this is not. Bound feet is it's a tradition right after the, uh, the new China. Mm -hmm. So it was banned. But what I'm saying, uh, woman bound feet means not independent. That's the idea. But at that time, this is the part of the beauty <laughs> standard, you know. So the cooking, core of the cooking in Malaysia, is, uh, it's mixed. You mix with a little Chinese technique, Chinese ingredient, and then you mix a lot of the native, which is native ingredient, uh, Malay ingredient. And of course, you're starting to mix because we also use curry and spices. Yes, I definitely want to talk yeah, about all of this because you brought some beautiful things to look at and to taste. So stir-frying, we mentioned stir-frying. We talked a little bit about the actual structure of a traditional meal with soup and a veggie and a, and a, and a protein. But in my hand, I have a gorgeous jar of something that's called yellow curry paste. Now, is this a Malaysian ingredient and how do you use it? And it looks like it's filled with 100 ingredients. So tell me about yellow curry paste. Yes, the yellow curry paste, we also in Malaysia, we call it rumpa. So this is like a base spice. You mix with wet spice, which is and the dry spice. The wet spice is like a galanga, onions, garlic, lemongrass, mm. and a, a lot of other little herb, you know. And then you mix it with the dry spice, which is, you can get it in the market now called curry, basically. Basically, the word curry is basically mean mixed spice in India. So we have a, a lot of influence uh, cooking from India also. The Indian cooking is go way back, way back from the um, 
Buddha, when the Buddha mm. Hindu go to, they go all the way to Bali. That's why in Bali, Indonesia, yes. they actually, their, their religious religion, their, it's Hinduism. It's so there's a lot Muslim. of crossover, a lot of cultural yeah, so, intermixing here of, of spices and herbs and dishes. May, what would be some of the typical dishes when you were growing up as a, as a little girl that you would either eat, you know, when your mother was cooking for the family and some of the things that you would make for your father and brothers. So when I growing up, my mom will cook very traditional Chinese food and also Hakka food. But I was blown away when I was seven. <laughs> I able to go out to the street and buy my own food. That's when I first encounter the Malay food. And it's just like, very, very different than the Chinese mm -hmm. my family would serve because then they use the spice, they use all kind of uh, ingredient that I'm not familiar. Yeah, my parents have a farm and how they acquire this farm is another story. So anyway, so my mom is, is a superwoman. She will raise <laughs> pig and chicken, everything. And my father will do all kind of things also, you know, work, labor work. And like I was a little bit lucky. I don't have to really get up early and help my mom doing all kind of work. I know that my brother or my older sister, my older sister, uh, family member, they have to do that. Mm. I remember one sister always complain and uh, <laughs> she's like, you know, you are so lucky. Yeah, because they have to get up at five. And work on the farm. Uh, work on the farm because they have to, you know, really in the morning they will make sure the veggie are still very fresh. They have to cut it and to sell it. And uh, my, my sister have to run to the school when she hear the bell calling oh, the student so she would to hear come. The bell, and that's how she would know it was time to go to school. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very different way of life. It's so fascinating. I have a million questions about this. Do I understand, too, that you didn't have a stove and you just had a big walk on that was rested on concrete blocks and you weren't even tall enough to reach it? Yeah. So that is, yeah, most of the time I never even know there is a stove or even what what do you mean a stove? If people ask me what stove mean, I would not understand because <laughs> nobody have a stove in there. Ah. So there is only two concrete block and they make a hole and just simply make a more like you are camping. <laughs> Amazing. You know? <laughs> you know, I'm thinking really uh, sitting with you in the kitchen today, thinking about what it was like for you growing up. And fast forward, you run, you are the chef and the owner of this really fabulous restaurant uh, in New York City. It's somewhere right in between Chinatown and Little Italy called Oze Peace. Your food is very sophisticated. It's a combination of Malaysian and French. And I guess the French influence is from your husband. So it's open for lunch and dinner. Tell, tell us more about the restaurant and what kind of dishes and who comes and, and the women in the kitchen that you're working with. So after we closed the uh, first restaurant, Franklin Station Cafe, uh, in 2008, right before the financial crash. And I, for five years, I was like, kind of trying to get back to be and really like a full-time artist uh, like uh, trying to find my way to go back to my original passion that was hard because after 15 years I stopped 
completely 15 years, mm. like day and night, 24-7. I didn't think about, about art. Because the restaurant business really yes, is like yes, that, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And um, for five years, I was really um, lost. Mm-hmm. Really lost, kind of. I couldn't get there or that there, and um, I missed the kitchen. I missed also the whole social aspect of in the restaurant because all my customer become my friend. Basically, <laughs> they come, hey May, what today? What good today? Is the fish fresh? <laughs> they would say things like that. I was very, oh. very uh, casual, and it's very nice. Very, it's happy. You, you know, it's a, it's a greatest job. They come, they eat, they pay you. <laughs> they come to say hi to you, and they pay you. Well, you know what I mean. So it's funny. So I missed the whole thing, and um, if you remember the, the Hurricane Sandy, mm-hmm. and we have like two weeks, no electric, nothing, and then, of course, there's a lot of restaurant closed after that, and one day I just passed by Baxter Street, which I love that street. It's very kind of under the radar, yes. I would say that. It's like a movie I, set. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So I always walk by, and one day I just walk by there after the uh, Sandy I saw a foreign and I said, oh, let me check it out. And then that's it, everything. And then I start. No kidding me. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like on a whim, you you saw the space, you look back to the street and you said, I'm back in. Uh, yeah, I called, a, I called a number there and <laughs> I negotiate and I get the lease and I open within like, um, it's just like two months. That's an amazing <laughs> restaurant story. Uh, and did you, when did you tell your husband? <laughs> No, I mean, I have to tell my husband right away, of course. He liked the idea. He loved, he missed that too. Mm. So we, we're back in business. Now, is is your menu today at Oze Peace very similar to what you had at the Franklin Station Cafe? Are there some dishes that, you know, you took with you? What are some of the most important dishes on your menu? What can't you take off? So so this time around, of course, I have more experience now. So I I don't want to say Franklin Station Cafe doesn't mean anything. So I come to think of what, what, what kind of name should reflect my cooking. Mm. And I say I use a lot of spice. And uh, Mark said, oh, just use uh, OCPs. I said, what's that mean? It sounds great. <laughs> it sounds great. He said, with spice. And I, I didn't thought about it. I said, love that. And then I realized after he spelled it for me, oh, I said, Ma, nobody can pronounce it unless somebody who knows French. French. So it's A-U-X-E-P-I-C-E-S. Yes. Ocepis with spices. Yeah. Mm. So basically it's cooking with spice. That's the meaning. So I have more concept now, and I want to make sure I can explain what is my cooking is. So whatever the cooking is, it's it's have my influence as a Malaysian, Chinese. It's a soup with noodle. It's basically a ramen. It's just the, the base. It's different. It's a curry cooked with coconuts, and then they just... Put all kind of ingredient you like. You can put chicken, you can put seafood, you can put meat. And me, I love seafood. Uh, as you know, I grew up in a fishing village. So I come up with this seafood laksa ah. instead of just 
a laksa, you know. A seafood laksa, this is totally is my creation. But oh. the concept is laksa. In Malaysia, you go to Kuala Lumpur, you can get a laksa anywhere, anytime, any day, anywhere. <laughs> so in Malaysia, or the whole Malaysia, you know. Ah. Yeah, you can, uh, it's just a, a, a ramen soup. Mm-hmm. It's just the base is different. But if I'm just reading the ingredients, this unique signature locks of yours with shrimp, mussels, salmon, calamari, tofu, eggplant, bean sprouts, yellow coconut curry broth. Wow. that's and, You can't take that off the menu, right? <laughs> no. I would say it's embody the Malaysian cuisine. Why? First of all, they have the influence of uh, Indian. They have the influence of the Malay and the Chinese. It's eating a bowl of noodle soup is very Chinese. Mm-hmm. And then you have the curry. It's very Indian. And then you have all these wet spice, lemongrass, galanga, uh, ginger, all kind of spice. Now it's like I have to really, uh, it's a lot of ingredients. But it's embodied the three mix of multicultural dish. And you can, I think you can only get it in Singapore and Malaysia. Uh, Singapore and Malaysia is very similar. So laksa in Sanskrit is basically meaning 10,000. So we can say this laksa mean 10,000 flavor. Ah. So it's really a lot of flavor inside. It's hard to explain. Mm. You have to taste it. I think everyone <laughs> listening is to going to. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this dish of 10,000 flavors. And what French-inspired dishes on the menu? Maybe that is really a signature for your husband, who is French. And I start to appreciate the lifestyle as a French culture. Their food is so important for them. And the process of eating is very important. Mm. The cooking, yes, they're they are very proud of their cooking. But I think the spending the time eating, talking to your friend is really a very, very important in the, in the culture of French cuisine. It's not just their food. Mm. It's part of the eating habit. They well, take time. They have their wine. They, they start talking. They talk all kind of things. They express their feeling is a very important, I think. So mm. it's become also my culture shock, and I start to appreciate I. I really appreciate their culture, and I start to learn that way, and I start to want to learn about French cooking, and um, and then I start watching Julia Child. <laughs> yeah, so I she would be my, so happy to know that. <laughs> so I learned my French cooking I, from yeah. her. Beautiful, because I see you have things like escargot on the menu and the ratatouille, and again, these gorgeous French fruit tarts for dessert. But there's also a, a dish, I'm going to come back real soon and have it. It's rendang lamb. So it's slow-cooked lamb with blue ginger, curry, and coconut. And you also have bouillabaisse. So your restaurant feels very French. I think this is um, so beautiful what you said, that in addition to some French influences, it's really the culture of what it is to dine and be in community and drink wine. I know you have a lovely wine list. You have great beers. You have a sake. You've got it all. 
It's a very special, very special place. May, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the women in your kitchen, who they are. I want to talk a little bit about the food that you brought for me to eat and also to hear about your legacy recipe. And the gate to the garden of fulfilled desire is reached by a road. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at roseannegold.com. May, one of the reasons I love your restaurant so much is that it does feel very French and like a little bistro with these very exciting, exotic flavors coming from the kitchen. But also your kitchen is sort of partially open and you have women. Just It's like an all-woman kitchen. So tell me about the women who've been working with you for a long time. Yeah, so when I first opened the Franklin Station, I also hired only women. First of all, I'm not traditional trained, and I'm the chef, so who will listen under me? <laughs> not the man. I don't think so, <laughs> because I have a lot of brother. You see it that way. So I know <laughs> what's that mean. And so I just hire women. I call around the agency. I say, do you have any women uh, looking for a job? And they send me, and, you know, I taught them, and they... They take it very well. And since then, uh, that's it. I have them. I have woman at the new restaurant. I have one woman from the old restaurant still wow, with me. Wow, so many me. years. So mm. she must be with me, what, I would say 15 years now. And they take my order very well. I feel that they have a mutual understanding. They respect me very much. Well, I think they're inspired by you. Uh I have no idea, but they is really uh, taking order very well, and they cook really good. I set up my kitchen the way I want it. It's not a French uh, professional kitchen will not set up this way. Mm -hmm. So I mix it a little bit Chinese, and so I mix it the way how I set it, how my food will need to be. Fast also, because restaurant businesses have to be practical. It's not in France that you can wait for a dish car, like 45 minutes in a bistro especially. So I have to figure out how I uh, design my kitchen. It's and like being a military commander. You really do need to think about all the pieces. In the kitchen, yes, it's like a military. You cannot be uh, uh, do whatever you want. You have to follow order. Otherwise, it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they take order very well. So I end up uh, hiring a woman. They are not professional trained, which I don't want a professional trained because, because my kitchen not set up for professional. Because in a professional, that means they go to school, they have a certain way, how you do things. No, for me, still, how the food come out is more important for me. You mean the execution my... of the dish or the actual taste or the look of the dish? Because I see this whole restaurant is just another of your works of art, right? Because it's so personal. The the way it looks, the way it feels, the food, it's all you. It's all May Chow. <laughs> you brought a couple of things for me to taste today. And they are so delicious, but I think also very representative of some of the kind of exoticness of, of the dishes. So what did I just eat? Uh, very crunchy. I'm tasting fresh vegetables and fruit, and it's spicy. 
So and very colorful. What is this? Yeah, that is called acha. I just want to bring it, uh, bring to you something that you can taste the the multicultural level of Malaysian cooking. That's a little this would Indian. be the, the symbol of that. Yeah. This dish achar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a very Indian influence because we have a lot of curry and we have peanuts, uh, which is uh, Malaysian, and also we have a lot of fruits in our cooking. Malaysian cooking have a lot of fruit. They use a lot of fruits, uh, part of the cooking. Yeah. So this is. I just want you to have a little taste of it. <laughs> it, it is so delicious, and it is spicy, but um, it's so well balanced. And I, I think maybe the idea of balance is very important in your in your food. Right? We're talking about spicy, but a little uh, acidity, saltiness. The bits of fruit that I'm—is that mango that I'm having? Mango mm. and pineapple. Mm. So it, it with have peppers a and sour. green beans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but good. It's sweet, not uh, yeah. So is so, this a salad or a side dish? How is this used? Achar. Achar. Yeah, it will be a side dish. It will be a side dish. And in Malaysia, we have this uh, also a national dish called uh, nasi lemak. Nasi mean rice mm-hmm. in Malay. Lama means coconut, so it's a uh, coconut rice. But then they will have a plate for you, uh, the rice in the middle, and uh, all around it, they will put a little uh, pickle, achar, they will put a little chicken, they will put a, a little peanuts, and... Uh, uh, all kind of ingredient, all kind of different things. Well, that's interesting because that's also kind of Indian. That that the idea of a tali, right? Yeah, so you have it's your, like a tali, and and the rice and some of these wonderful little uh, tastes all around. Mm, mm. It's really like a party in your mouth. Mm. And you also brought something else, which something is more of a traditional pickle. I just tasted with carrots and cucumber, and it has a sweetness. Where where does the sweetness come from? And also, what is the acidity? In there, how do you make those pickles? So the other pickle is a very traditional way. It's a vinegar and uh, sugar. Mm-hmm. They do put sugar, vinegar, and salt, and that's it. And that's Simple. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, they were wonderful and so refreshing. Just so yeah. refreshing. What would be your legacy recipe? So since that my breakthrough is uh, doing this seafood laksa, <laughs> I would say yeah, I would send my legacy uh, recipe or. Dishes will be a seafood laksa. Perfect. And do you, can you teach anyone to make that? Yes, I did have some classes uh, done over the year. And of course, how I teach them first, I have to teach them to really get over the fear of spice. Because once they talk about spice, they say, oh, what? I, I don't know spice. I, how do I use it? How much? I keep telling them, Spices are so forgiven. You can put a little more and a little less. They won't. They won't scream, and they will really uh, just a different taste. And maybe you create a new dish, a new uh, recipe, just out of your mistake. Uh, <laughs> that often so, happens. So, so I told them, please don't get too nervous about spice. First, you learn about that spice, and then you trying to figure out what spice you want first. What 
taste you want to bring out, and then you you maybe put a little more of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Indian concept of cooking is no more than six or seven spice. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a lot for an American cook. Six yeah. or seven spices. Where does the heat come from? Is there a particular chili or the, the in, as opposed to spice, but the heat factor. So the uh, so uh, another thing that misconception about uh, spicy. Actually, spice is there's no hot factor in there. The only hot factor is come from the chili pepper. Mm. Mm-hmm. Chili pepper. It's uh Is that chili pepper? It's a spice. It's not even a spice, right? It's actually a vegetable. Right, Such chili as, pepper. Uh, it's, yeah. It is interesting about that because spice and spicy are two different phenomenons. Yeah. Spice really has to do with smell and the olfactory hub of smell. And spiciness, believe it or not, is actually not a taste. It's a sensory irritation. It comes from another part of the autonomic nervous system. So it's really so. There is a lot of misconstruing. The one question I ask everyone is this: What does one woman kitchen? Mean to you? So one woman kitchen. When I first really put my mind to it, of course I'm visual. I first thing I see is the uh, woman in the kitchen, and and they're so serene. They're very quiet. They do their thing. They're very focused. So for me, I have a very warm feeling. I feel the love. And for the Chinese, a woman is, it's a it's a yin. Fire is yang. So the yin and yang is actually uh, such a, it's a perfect harmony. And also, I also think about a woman. Of course, now we have all this labor, uh, families, uh, women in the kitchen. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's also implied that suppressions and mm-hmm. things like that. But I think a woman... When they carry their baby, right? They pregnant. They they feeding through the umbilical cord. They feeding. That's how we make human, and it's the same. A woman in the kitchen. They're feeding their family, hmm. right? They're feeding their husband, feeding their kid. That's the love. It's 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 the same for me. It's the carry out. It's 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 just a natural thing they do. That's what I felt. That is so beautiful. May, thank you so much. And thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. In my kitchen. And thanks to all of you for listening to me and May. Thank you. I'm Roseanne Gold. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold. And check out everything I'm up to on my website at roseannegold.com. And if you're wondering about my beautiful theme music, it's called The Garden, written and performed by award-winning singer-songwriter Audrey Appleby. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.